All right, again, if you joined us for the first time today, we're in our second week of a sermon series called Truths to Live By. Um, I don't know about you, but last week was, <laughs> it was a truth that was quite confronting, um, and I'm, look for, I'm looking forward to seeing what Paul has to say to us today with our second uh, sermon of the sermon series. So uh, if you're uh, with me, uh, let's open up our Bibles or open up your Bible app um, to the book of Mark. So the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel according to Mark and will be camped out at chapter 2, uh, the first 17 verses. So uh, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 17. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen behind me, but we highly encourage you to open up your own individual Bibles or your Bible app and follow along with me. All right, ready? All right, let's do it. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he came, and he, excuse me, and he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when the Sorry, I lost myself. When they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they, had op- when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Pastor Paul's telling me to stop, so I shall stop. This is the word of God. Thank you. Thanks, Daniel. So, yeah, that's all. I'm only going to preach up to that point. Um, Hello. Uh, Good to see everyone again. Welcome to Kingsway. Um, As Daniel mentioned, we started a new series last week called Truths to Live By. Uh, I'm going to talk about five kind of big truths that I believe that if we were really to grasp, um, and if really these truths were to grasp us, uh, we would not live the same way that we have been. Right? So last week I talked about the fact that hell is real. And as Daniel mentioned, that was a difficult topic, uh, but a very important one. Right? A topic that maybe we don't speak enough about in churches. Um, That was last week. And today, I'm talking about the fact that Jesus saves. And we're really kind of building up uh, on top of what I talked about last week. And so if you missed last week's sermon, they're up on Spotify or um, on our website or something. Um, But building on top of the fact that hell is real is the truth that Jesus saves. Now, as I begin, I want to ask you a question. Uh, What do you want most from God today? If God could grant you your deepest desire, what would it be? Your number one prayer point. God, this is what I so desperately want. 
Right? What would you ask of him if you knew that he would answer you? What is your heart's greatest hope? Now, we all find ourselves here in church today seeking God for different reasons. Right? Different things drive us to be here today. For some of us, it's a solution to some problem, and God, I just wish you could fix that problem, then everything would be okay. For some of us, we're here because we want to make some relationships. God, I want to meet some people and get to know some people and make some friends. Or maybe you want more than a friend, you want to find a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and God, if I could just get that, you know, everything would be okay. God, I'm here maybe for guidance. God, I want purpose. I want comfort. I want you to teach me how to live a godly life. I want some, some breakthrough. I want an assurance. We all come here for different reasons. I don't know about you, but when I talked about hell last week, and as I reflected on it, it really changed the way I looked at how I live, and what mattered, uh, what the most important things in life were. And as you think about hell, I think it would change the things that we would come to ask God for. Some of those things that we want from God today may not really be the most important things. And maybe what you are here for, maybe it's not a bad thing, but maybe it's not the great thing. Maybe it's not what you really need. As we look at today's passage, what we're going to find is a group of people who come to Jesus because they want something, but in the process, Jesus is going to teach them that he has something far better to offer them, and that is what they really need. It's not what they want, but it's what they need. And for all of us here today, I want us to understand this is what we need, and this is what Jesus is here to offer us. And so if you have your Bibles, you're going to keep it open in Mark chapter 2. If you've got a Bible app, you keep it open in Mark chapter 2. We don't have um, verses up on our slides. You know, we haven't done that for a while to make us, you know, have a Bible open. And so we're just going to keep doing that. Uh, but the first point I want to look at is I want to, we, we see a great faith uh, in this passage. Now again, in today's passage, we find a group of friends, there's about there's four with uh, one who's paralyzed, and they're trying to help, uh, this group of friends are trying to help this paralyzed man fulfill what would have been his greatest desire, right? His one great prayer point, if you were to come to God, what, what do you want God to do for you? He's coming to Jesus to get that answered, right? This was his great want. And we read in verse 1, it says, and when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that Jesus was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and Jesus was preaching the word to them. And so Jesus has gone around doing his preaching and healing and deliverance ministry, and he has come back home, it says, to Capernaum. Now, it's most likely not his home, it's just a place he's calling home while he's at Capernaum, uh, maybe uh, one of his disciples' homes, and that's where he's staying. And the word has gone around that Jesus is back. And so all these people gather around to hear Jesus preach. And there are so many people, he says, that there was no room, not even at the door. It's like a packed house. There's nowhere to squeeze. Like everyone's just shuffled along. Can you, can you move that over there? Can you, can you move that table? And everyone has squeezed in and the walls are lined with people standing up, and it's so full that people are stuck at the door, just peeking their heads in, trying to look at Jesus. And even the door, it says, is full. Right? It's a full house. And we read that while Jesus is preaching to this full house, verse 3, they came. 
bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Now, why do these four men bring this paralytic? What was this paralytic here for? I don't think that's difficult to guess. He was there to be healed. That was his great desire, his great want, his prayer point. Jesus, I want to be healed. I want to walk again. I don't want to be bound by this illness that stops me from living a life that maybe all my friends get to live. Now that's made clearer in Luke's recount of this story. He says that the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. So Jesus was healing amongst his preaching and that is why they had come. That is why they're seeking Jesus. That's what he wants. I want to be physically healed. Now what they got right is this. They had a great faith. Now they got something wrong and we'll talk about that later. But they got this right. They had a great faith. They believed that Jesus was the only one who could fix their great problem. They believed Jesus was the only one who could fix their great problem. I don't know about you, but if I was the group of friends and I got up to the house and I saw that it was full, I might have just given up. I think a lot of people would have been in that situation and would have given up and gone home. Like you're gone, I'm like, oh, can we, can we, can we get in? Oh, well, we tried. Maybe next time. Maybe next time another you know, healer comes around. You know, we tried our best, and we'll just go back home. And we'll just maybe go for a meal. I think a lot of people would have been in that situation, just like the paralyzed man, wanting to be healed, but when confronted by that barrier, would have just easily given up. But look at what this group does. Rather than giving up, look at the extent that they go to. It says in verse 4, And then when they could not go near him because of the crowd, they gave up and went home. That's not what he says. When they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Right? That's that's crazy. That's just like over the top. It's an, it's how embarrassing is that? Right, these people, instead of giving up, they climb onto the roof somehow, and the roofs back then in Palestinian roofs would have been flat, and they start digging a hole to get to Jesus. Imagine you're sitting there in that living room with Jesus. It's a jam-packed room. Jesus is preaching this amazing sermon, and as he's preaching, you hear this on the roof. And everyone's like, what? what's going on? They're just banging and scraping And dust and debris begins to fall from the roof. And everyone stops and they're staring up. And it gets louder and louder. And finally you you see a hole punched through the roof. And someone's hand sticks out through the roof. And everyone's like, whoa. The hand pulls out. And someone's eye pokes through the hole. And they're looking to see where Jesus is. They find Jesus. The eye disappears. And the banging continues over and over again. Until the hole is big enough for a bed to fit through. But a, a man lying on a bed, right, horizontal, to fit through. This is a big hole. This is the strangest house. And these people were willing to punch a hole through. There was, last week in the Sunday group, uh, one of the members was talking about how they have a problem in their roof and it's leaking and how annoying that is. And I, I thought about that. I was reading this. I was like, how annoying would this be? This isn't a small leak in your roof. 
Someone has punched a hole in your roof big enough to lower a man. But this is the extent that they go to to bring this paralytic to Jesus. Right, it's over the top. And when Jesus sees their action, he doesn't say, this is due to stubbornness. This is because they're a bunch of punk kids who are rude and they don't care about anything. What he says in verse five, it says, it says Jesus saw their faith. It is faith, Jesus says, that drove them to this extent. They were relentless and did not give up because they had faith. Faith in what? Faith that Jesus alone, that Jesus was the only one who could fix their problem. And so even though there were barriers, they kept pushing through until they got to Jesus. Anyone with, with lesser faith would have given up. Right? If you didn't really believe that Jesus was the one who could fix this problem, you'd get to that room that is full and say, oh, let's go home. Because we're not even sure that if we got to him anyway, he'd be able to help us. Right? You'd say, it's not worth the cost of punching a hole through someone's roof and embarrassing ourselves and forking out lots of money to pay for that roof afterward because we're just not sure if Jesus could really help us. These people are willing to go so far because they had such great faith. They really believed Jesus was the one who could fix their problem. That is what they got right. And that is something that we should be able to look at and follow after. How often do we give up too easily on Jesus because we lack faith? Because we don't really believe that Jesus is the one who can solve our problem. And so we pray a little bit and then we, we kind of give up and, well, I tried. And we figure it out ourselves. We don't look for guidance from God's word because we don't really believe Jesus is the one who needs to speak into the situation. We give up on holding on to God as our only hope. It's because we lack faith. We don't really believe Jesus is the one who can fix our great problem. If we really believe that, we would keep fighting to get to him. Everything in the Christian life requires a degree of faith. Everything. Not blind faith, not perfect faith, but it requires faith. And believers are people who have put our faith in Jesus as the one to fix our problems. Otherwise, we'll give up too easily. They got that right, they had faith. But what they got wrong is they got the problem wrong. They misunderstood what the problem really was. Now they had faith that Jesus could fix the problem, but the problem they came to Jesus with was not the real problem that Jesus wanted to solve. And that is what I want to look at in the second, the second point, a great need. I want you to put yourself into the, the shoes of the paralytic for a moment. Now we don't know when this man was paralyzed, uh, maybe he was born with this condition, and so he'd lived with this his whole life. Or maybe he had an unfortunate accident as a child or maybe as an adult that left him in this situation. But I think even though we don't know those details, we could be fairly confident that he would have been filled with joy at the thought that he was going to be next to Jesus. Because right? again, he believed that Jesus could heal 
his situation. And he was right there next to him. How, how amazing would that feeling have been? I don't know if you've ever waited what felt like your whole life for something to happen. You just waited and waited and you hoped and hoped and maybe that thing will happen and then you're right there, right at the precipice of it becoming a reality. That, that anticipation is like overwhelming and that's how that man must have felt. He had been paralyzed and he could not live a normal life that everyone else got to. He couldn't do the things that his friends got to do and enjoy. And that he hears that there's a man named Jesus going around, saying things that no one has ever said, doing things that no one has ever done. Right? This Jesus preaches unlike any rabbi who has ever walked the earth. And this Jesus is casting out demons from people. He's healing the sick in multitudes, and all of them, Mark 1 says, were made better. Even lepers. Right? When lepers came in contact with you, they would infect you. But when Jesus came to lepers, he wasn't infected. He would cleanse them, right? what seemed like an incurable disease. And this man hears about it. How exciting is that? And yet the problem is, he's a paralytic. He can't make his way to Jesus. And so he waits, and he waits, and he waits. He waits for the moment when Jesus might come near enough to him that he might get his friends to carry him. And finally, he hears the news that Jesus is back at Capernaum. And so his friends put him on a bed. They rush over to the house. They're so excited, but the house is full. They don't give up because they have faith. They climb the house. They punch a hole in the roof, and they begin to lower this man bit by bit, ever so slowly, down toward Jesus. And as this man is lying there on the bed, slowly inching his way toward Jesus, I can imagine that an anticipation is just growing and growing and growing and growing. Right? Because he can only look at the roof and he's staring at the ceiling at his friends with a big hole in the roof. He's looking at the walls and then slowly the face of Jesus comes into his field of vision. Jesus smiles at him. And then Jesus says, the words he so desperately wants to hear, right? What does he want to hear? Son, your paralysis is healed. But as Jesus opens his mouth, that is not what he says, right? Look at verse five. What does Jesus say? And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Nothing to do with his condition, nothing to do with his paralysis, nothing to do with physical problem. Jesus says, all the wrong you've done against God, right? Your rebellion, your sin, your disobedience to his commandments, I'm going to forgive that. That's what Jesus says, right? I don't know about you, but you're like, what? I don't know how that man might have felt, but he would have been like, oh, what? that's not what I want, that is not what I want. Why does Jesus say that? Is Jesus cruel? Is Jesus playing a joke? Jesus says what he says because even though this isn't what the man wants, it is what he needs. It is what he needs. The man's greatest want, what he wanted so desperately was physical healing, but what he needed above everything else was a spiritual healing, a forgiveness of sins. That was his greatest problem. 
Jesus' shocking statement is this, even more important than our physical needs is our spiritual need. And we come to Jesus with so many material, present needs that we think are needs. We say, Jesus, I need you to fix this work situation, this relationship situation, this money situation, whatever thing it is, I need you to fix it. I need it, but Jesus would tell us, they're not really your greatest problem in life. What you need above all, the core issue that every single one of us needs solved is a spiritual problem. It's a problem with sin. Now, all that other stuff, I'm not saying it's unimportant, but they're not the most important thing. And that is why Jesus offers to this man forgiveness of sins, because it is the greater gift, even though it might not have felt like it. Verse 5 says, Jesus saw their faith, and then he says, I'll forgive your sins. He sees their faith, and he's like, I'm going to reward you for your faith, Forgive your sins, right? This is the prize they get for having such great faith. This is the greatest gift. You see, their faith was a faith that believed Jesus was the only one who could fix their great problem. And so Jesus says, I'll fix your great problem. It's just not what you thought it was. Your great problem is a sin problem. The sin problem that separates you from God the Father. Your sin problem that bounds you to to be a slave to things that drive you away from God. Your sin problem that is taking you on a one direction to hell. At a place that is real and eternal and horrible. And a lot of people are going to get caught off guard when they get there. Right, I said that last week. That's your problem. And I'm going to fix it for you today. You know, later in the story, Jesus heals the man's paralysis, right? He does, but it's like an afterthought. I'm fairly confident to say that Jesus would have been content to have stopped here. I forgive your sins and have left the man as a paralyzed man. If you read the story and you see why Jesus actually physically heals him, he heals him to prove that he can forgive sins. That's the only reason why he heals the man. If you read in verse 9, and uh, you can read it for yourself later. You see, when when Jesus says, I'll forgive your sins, people start grumbling and saying, oh, who is he? Who does he think he is that he can forgive sins? And Jesus says in verse 9, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise up, take up your bed and walk, right? Which is easier to say, forgive your sins or walk. Now, Forgive your sins is easier to say, but it's harder to do. It's easier to say because if I say I forgive your sins, like, do I know? How do I know it happened? You you don't know. So it's easy to say. It's a hard thing to do because only God can do it. That's what they say. But take up your bed and walk, that's hard to say. Because if I say to someone, take up your bed and walk, well, we should see something happen visibly, physically, straight away. And so Jesus is saying, even though forgiveness of sins is a harder thing to do, I'm going to say this one, get up and walk to prove that I can do the other one. And so he says, get up and walk, and the man walks. And then verse 10 says, but that you may know, this is why he does it, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. This is why he heals. 
He heals the man from his paralysis, not because it's going to make him happier, not because that's why Jesus was there. To, that's not his purpose. He does it only to prove his ability to forgive sins. That which is infinitely more important, the greater gift to the man. Right Again, I think he would have left the man as he was if people weren't grumbling about it. And we see this over and over in the Gospels. When Jesus feeds the 5,000, right, he gets the fish and the loaves and he miraculously feeds 5,000. What he says to them after feeding them is, do not work for food that perishes, but work for food that endures to eternal life. Right, he's saying, I gave you food, but don't, don't come to me for food. Come to me for that which leads to eternal life. That's what's more important. When he goes to the Samaritan woman at the well, she's there to get some water. He tells her, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So she's there for water, and he's like, no, it's not about water. Let me give you something that will satisfy you in your soul forever, and it will lead to eternity. That's what's more important. Over and over again, in the ministry of Jesus, we see he was not here to make our life easier on earth. He was here to fix our great sin problem and make our life paradise for eternity in the world to come. It was love that made Jesus offer to this paralyzed man not what he wanted, but rather to give him more. When Jesus said, I forgive your sins, he gave him way more than what the paralyzed man wanted. Do we believe that? That he actually gave him more? Jesus offers to him not just a momentary healthy life on earth, but an eternal perfected life in heaven, a restored relationship with God the Father that begins now and for eternity. That is more. That is the better gift. Let me say it like this. When the paralyzed man was lowered down before Jesus, and again, the room is packed and people are standing against the walls watching Jesus, well, the man was lowered and Jesus turned to him and he said, son, your sins are forgiven. In that moment, that paralyzed man lying on the bed, unable to move, still not healed physically, he was the richest man in the room. Far more wealthy than all the other people standing up and watching Jesus. Do you believe that? That's what it means to believe our sin problem is our greatest need. That man was far richer than all the physically healthy people in that room because he had something exceedingly more valuable and more precious than they had. He was forgiven of his sins. He had eternal life. He was saved. And no matter what kind of troubles or suffering he might endure in this short life, in the life to come, he was wealthy beyond measure. I said at the beginning of this sermon that we come to God and church for many different reasons. Why are you here? God, I want you to solve this problem. I'm here for relationships. I'm here to date someone. I'm here for guidance, for purpose, for comfort. 
I want to know how to live a godly life. I want provision, assurance. They're not bad things. They're good things to seek God for, but they're not the best things. They're not the most ultimate thing we need to figure out first. All those things are things you want. They're not things you need. What you need is to be forgiven of your sins. All those things, if God were to give it to us, it might lead to a better life here on earth. But what we need when we get forgiveness of sins leads to the best life here on earth and in the world to come. Right? This is really the greatest need. And when we consider what I talked about last week, about hell, and how hell is horrible and it's final and it will catch many people by surprise, we begin to understand this more and more. How important it is for us to figure out our sin problem that is leading us to hell. I don't know what God is doing in your life. I don't know 99% of what God wants to do in you today. But I'm confident about this that he offers to each of us salvation. He offers to us forgiveness of sins. Every single one of us, if you would believe in him, you will get it. That is what you need. Last, I wanna talk about Jesus a bit and we'll close. When Jesus turned to the man and he said, son, your sins are forgiven, I think some people would have been confused, like, whoa, what, that's not what he wants. But some people were really angry. Like they were like livid with anger. It says in verse five and to seven, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Verse six, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now the scribes were kind of like religious leaders Jewish uh, religious leaders at the time, and it says they thought he is blaspheming. Now, blasphemy is not like, oh, that's weird. According to the Old Testament, when someone um, commits blasphemy, uh, you should kill him. Or you should stone him to death. And so when, they, when they're thinking Jesus committed blasphemy, like, they're not like, mm, no, that's okay. They're like really angry about it and like, this guy deserves to die. Right? And again, that's why Jesus is put to death because he said a lot of things they didn't agree with. This is an offense to God of the highest nature. And the reason why they're so angry is they're thinking this, who can forgive sins but God alone? Only God can forgive sins. And they're right. Only God can forgive sins. Our sins are offensive at the end of the day to God. And so only God gets to say, don't worry about it, I forgive you. Right, if I did something wrong to my wife and she's like angry at me and then my daughter Zoe comes up to me and she says, it's okay dad, I forgive you. I'd be like, aww. But you know, that's not how it works, right? That's nice, but I need forgiveness from this one over here, my wife. We need forgiveness from God because God is the one we have offended. Now, the scribes were right in that only God can forgive sins, but they were wrong in two ways. Number one, Jesus can forgive sins, and he can because he is God. Only God can forgive sins, but Jesus can forgive sins because he is God in the flesh. Jesus is more than a prophet, 
is more than a wise man, is more than a great example to follow, right? Different religions believe in Jesus, but they believe him in a different way from the way we believe in Jesus. We believe Jesus was God. He's the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the Son, God the Son. He came in the flesh into this world. He was uncreated. He existed from eternity past, and yet he came into this world, and he is fully God. He is fully man. And because he is God, he can forgive sins. But the second thing they didn't understand was that Jesus came to forgive sins. That is the very reason he was there on earth. Jesus was born and lived and died in order to make a way that we might be forgiven. He needed to pave that path that we might be forgiven. Jesus' life is kind of weird when you think about it. He lived 30 years um, and at the age of about 30 is when he began his ministry. All right, so 30 years, relatively quiet, not going around preaching, not going around healing. At around 30, the age of 30, he goes out. And that's when he heals, he teaches, and everyone starts to hear about him. He gets a gathering. But how long was his ministry? Do you know? You don't have to answer. About three years. Three years. After three years, Jesus makes a beeline straight to the cross. And he knows he's going there. He goes there on purpose. He goes to the cross and dies. Have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't stick around longer? Why didn't he stick around until at least 60? I'm sure he could have preached from a chair at 80. And people would come and he'd just heal them. He spent only three years doing ministry. He could have preached more, healed more, fed more people, cast out more demons if he stayed longer, but he didn't. He goes straight to the cross because this is why he came. He did not come to feed people or just merely to teach or to heal. He came to go to the cross to die in our place for our sins so that we can be forgiven of our sins. That's why he came. He came so that you might be forgiven of your sins. So he goes straight to the cross. And when he went to the cross, as he hung on that cross, he took your sins upon himself so that when God the Father looked at Jesus, it's as if he saw you and all of the wrongdoing you did and all of your failures and all of your regrets and the Father poured out his anger and judgment on Jesus. The judgment and anger you and I deserve, the punishment you and I deserve, the death that you and I deserve. And Jesus took it and he paid it on our behalf. Which is why when we believe in Jesus, our sins are forgiven because Jesus has paid for our sins and our wrongdoing. When we believe in Jesus, our sins are accounted to us no more. They've been paid for. And so we are welcomed by God and we have eternal life. That is why Jesus came. Above everything else he came to do, this is what he came to do. He came to save us, not from our physical problems, our material problems. He came to save us from our greatest spiritual problem, a problem of sin. That's what we sing about. I think two of the three songs we just sang were all about how Jesus saves us in this way. The question then is this. Do you believe 
that Jesus is the only one who can fix your great problem. And do you believe your great problem is a sin problem? What Jesus accomplished by going to the cross allows him to say to every single one of us here today, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. It's right there. It's on offer. All you need to do is believe. Believe that Jesus can do that. And you'll be forgiven right now in this very moment. Let me close with this. You know, when I look at my kids, I feel like they're like a different species of, um, I don't know, human race. They're weird, right? Kids are, kids get it backwards. They, they don't want what they need. They don't want what they need. And they act like they need what they want. Right, so they don't want what they need. What, what do they need? They need vegetables, but they don't want it. They need to sleep at night, but they don't want to sleep. They need to study and do homework. They need to learn to be good people and be selfless and take care of your sister, Reuben. <laughs> they need to learn to do chores and clean up. All these things are things that they need, but they don't want any of that stuff. I don't want what I need. And instead, they act like they need what they want. I need that Pokemon card. I'm like, you don't need it. It's like, I need it, I need it. I need to play games. I need to stay up. I need that ice cream. I need to watch TV. They act like they need what they want. They've got it completely backwards. They get something right though. They know who has the power to give them what they want or need. It's the parent. They come to us. I need, I need, I need, I need. But as a parent, how sad is it when your children come to you and they've got it mixed up? I need that thing. And we're thinking, you don't need that. You just want that. And you're not getting what you need. It's a really sad thing. And yet, I feel like that represents a lot of humanity. We come to Jesus. We come to God. We know he has the power to fix our problem, but we've got it wrong. We think our problem is these things that we want and we act like we need them. God, I need to get a promotion. I need a breakthrough in this thing. I need to find someone to date and marry. I need physical health in this life. But those are things we want. Come to God for them, yes. But what you need is forgiveness of sins. So often we don't even want that. And we're completely missing out. If you are a believer of Jesus here, I want to remind you, you already have in Jesus Christ far more than anything else you might want from Him. Everything in life may fall apart and yet you are still richer and wealthier than all the people who do not have Jesus Christ because you have Jesus. You have forgiveness of sins you have eternal life. Do you believe that? We chase after so many things and we act like we need them, but we just want them. So remind yourself of all that you have in Christ and praise God for Jesus, for your salvation, for your eternal life, for your relationship with God, for your adoption, for your forgiveness of sins. And when we look at our friends and family, what do they need? When we think about last week and the fact that hell is real, when we think about the fact that what I need and what people need is forgiveness of sins, it will change the way 
I speak to them and how I relate to them. If you are a non-believer here today, you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, let me tell you, what you can have in Jesus is incredible. But the greatest gift he offers to you, and he offers this to you today, is that your sins may be forgiven. That is why he came. And he can do that because he is God. Don't chase after the wrong things. Don't even chase after a good thing and end up missing the best thing, the most important thing, that you might be forgiven of your sins. And as we go out into our Sunday groups, if you're going to go join a Sunday group today, maybe talk about that. Have you had your greatest need solved in Jesus? Or do you just come to him for things that you want? Have your sins been forgiven? All right, let's close our eyes and let's pray. I just want us to wrestle with this fact that above everything that Jesus may offer to you today, in his great love, he will offer you freedom from your sins, that his blood would cleanse you from the stains that sin had left in your life. He may wash you clean and that he might restore you in your relationship with God, that he might give you eternal life in heaven. And he might do that because your sins will be forgiven. I don't know why you're here today, but that is what you need. Can we come to Jesus, repent of our sins, put our trust in him, say, Jesus, I believe that you can do that. I believe you are the only one who can fix my greatest problem. My greatest problem is a sin problem. I believe in you. Can you make that your prayer? And if you've never made that your prayer, if you make that prayer today, Eternity will shift and nothing will ever be the same on earth, in this world, or in the world to come. And it is that easy for us because of what Jesus has done. It's a free gift. We just receive it. If you're a believer, think on that and praise God for what you already have. Why don't we spend a bit of time in prayer? Let's pray.